I'm Julie Rose, and this is Top of Mind. I have been a radio journalist for two decades, but a few years ago, I found myself avoiding the news for long stretches because of how depressing and divisive it all seems. I still wanted to be informed and engaged on important issues, though, and I figured I couldn't be alone in that. So we created this podcast. Each week, we tackle one tough topic in a way that will challenge you, help you feel more empathy, and empower you to become a better citizen, a kinder neighbor, and a more effective advocate. Today, we're back with another conversation in our Stick With It series. Being able to stay open and curious, to stick with the discomfort that is natural when we are confronted with a challenging perspective, turns out to be really important in breaking free of the polarization that plagues our society right now. In Stick With It, we talk to people about how they're developing that particular skill. And I am pleased to be joined now by Susan Madsen. She's the founding director of the Utah Women and Leadership Project and a professor of leadership in the Huntsman School of Business at Utah State University. Susan, welcome. Thanks so much for your time. It's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Now, I know that you spend a lot of your time professionally in these really tricky areas around bias and discrimination and diversity in the workplace. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your story. Well, I have been, like you said, working on unconscious bias, how to teach it and so forth for a good decade, probably more than a decade. I've been studying women's leadership and how to help women themselves use their voices and have confidence, but also the biases around. So this is an area that I've been wrestling with and it's been so interesting through the last decade, especially to have some of my blind spots come out really in an obvious way. It, it, this is a it's a very vulnerable thing that we're asking people to do. I recognize when yeah. we say, all right, tell us about a time when you were really uncomfortable, but you decided to hang with that. So um, take us to the moment for you. So in this instance, it was probably four or five years ago. I know it was before the pandemic, so probably four or five years ago. And as I said, I've been thinking about my biases for a long time, but had not really pushed forward into race. And so, and I have worked with some women of color, not a lot since then, a lot more. Um, and so it had been on my mind, but what happened was I was invited by a black woman who I'd known for years and years to attend a wonderful luncheon that was a celebration that was, was um, connected to a women's black sorority. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just for college students. The sororities can last your whole life. So it was uh, a wonderful celebration. People were dressed up beautifully. She invited me to come and I thought, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and come to this. So I went down to um, this big fancy place. And what I realized pretty soon after I got there was that I didn't see any other white people. And it was, it was mostly black women, but black men as well. So the, the couples were coming and so forth. And again, it was a really fancy event. And so for a bit, I just kind of looked around and we hadn't been seated and, and started feeling a little uncomfortable. Wasn't really conscious of what I was um, thinking and why, but I was a bit uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And then I had to choose a seat. And when I got into the main room, I really could not see one other white person. I saw about 200 black people. And I thought, hmm, 
I think I think it'd be best for me to just sit in the back. <laughs> so, so I sat down at the back corner table right by the door. And I thought, okay, this is okay. I, I don't, and I started having these feelings like, you know, I don't want to be in the way. I don't want to take away from their experience. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make people um, feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I'll just sit in the back. Was this an unusual thing for you that you can think of? Had you ever been the only white person in a room like that? I don't, I don't think I'd ever been conscious of that. I don't think I had probably. Huh. There were always at least, I'd gone to some events with women of color, people of color, uh, but there'd already been, always been more white people. I mean, at least one or two other white people. And there were smaller groups. Yeah. This was a big, this was like 200 people. And again, I think the formal attire and the, the beautiful conversations I could hear. And, and people were kind to me. People acknowledged me. Uh, but I just felt out of place and it became more and more obvious to me that I was out of place. <laughs> so you're like sitting in the back and you're, I mean, did, did you at any point think like, maybe I just like slip out the doors? Absolutely. But I was invited by the woman who was running the meeting and I knew I wanted to support her and I wanted to make sure she saw that I was really trying to be there and support her. So I sat in the back and a few people talked to me, but most of the people at the table knew each other and they had wonderful conversations. And I felt kind of guilty when they had to expend energy talking to me, honestly, because I wanted them to celebrate and be be together. And they laughed. And and I, but about halfway through, right after I ate dinner, I thought, I, I just need to go. This doesn't feel like I belong, honestly. Um, but I don't want to be rude. I want to be, I had all these mixed feelings. And, and I even turned my knees one time towards the door <laughs> and grabbed my bag. And then I'm like, no, 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 no. You know, let's listen in a little bit more. And then I will tell you, I had that moment where about um, 10 or 15 minutes later, I thought it came to me. I mean, I thought, oh my gosh, I wonder if this is what black people feel in my home state, which is predominantly white, if they feel this, because I've been in lots of meetings with mostly white people and maybe just one black person. I mean, a lot of those. And then I just had this whole feeling kind of wash over me that, wow, I wonder if they feel this, these wonderful black folks feel the same thing that I'm feeling. And at that moment when it became conscious, I said, no, I need to stay. And I need to let that feeling wash over me so I can have some empathy, mm. what they feel. And actually, I've shared this story with some black uh, women, and they said, yeah, that's that's how we feel almost every time that we go. But I just sat in it and waited till the end. And um, but those feelings were really interesting that I don't want to be in the way. I don't want to. It was interesting. It wasn't just that I was uncomfortable. But I was feeling like I was taking away from their conversations. I'm not sure. I haven't analyzed everything about this, but but it was an interesting experience. What what would have happened? Do you think if you'd left? I don't know. I think I think one, maybe nobody would have noticed really. Um, you know, that's one thing. But uh, but there was one or two people at the table that had mentioned they had read my work, 
and so um and and my friend was running the event she knew i was in the back i didn't want to be disrespectful i think i think you know i was wrestling in all these emotions that i didn't quite understand and and i just didn't i thought maybe that's even ruder if i leave so i kind of went through some things in my brain trying to figure out what's the best thing to do and it was a saturday too so i had lots of things with you know i could have rationalized i'm just too busy <laughs> you know i need to go um so i was weighing all those things should i leave would that benefit them more if i wasn't there but would they think that was rude of me um I decided to stay not just because of those, I wanted to be supportive, I didn't wanna be rude, but once it became conscious to me what was going on and how I was feeling, and it's not always conscious, right? It, it I let that just soak in. Hmm. I'm like, with my work, I need to feel that uncomfortable feeling because people have that all the time. And I, as a white person, I haven't experienced this too much. I have a little bit. I've traveled to China where I was the only white person on an airplane. I mean, I've had a few, but this was different. This was in my area, my own area, my own home state, my community. But it was um, this group of wonderful human beings, but they were a different race and race matters. And And since that time, Julie, I've done even more work. I think that experience prompted me to explore read books wrestle with this more and and to this day and we can explore that more if you want i'm a bit more comfortable just because i'm more aware and i've worked with that i think that's i'd love to hear a little more about what came of this experience for you well that experience i think was the first to really pushed me in a way that I hadn't been pushed. Even though I was in this unconscious bias, I had talked about race, I felt like, oh, I get this, this is not a big deal. That moment said to me, Madsen, <laughs> this is a much bigger deal and you are uncomfortable and there are a lot of people that feel this. And so that really motivated me to do more work and then other things built on that, you know, the protests from a few years ago and so forth. But what I've done is to embrace um, the work. And it's been, I honestly, the last four years, it's been um, deep work. I, I have read books. What I don't wanna do when you read books on race is I've learned, I'm learning a lot and I have wonderful sisters of color that, that uh, tap me on the shoulder and, and point me in a good direction sometimes if I'm a little uncomfortable. Um, but I have, done my own work. What we don't want to do is go to people of color and say, help me understand everything. You have to do your own work. And so I've done that. My husband has read books too, race books. And, and, um, and then I participated intentionally in some conversations with white women, one group where we've studied race, and then another group where there's been 10 to 15 black women and 10 to 15 white women and and thank you my sisters of color for uh helping you know us wrestle through some of those things i've been called out sometimes julie hmm. on uh i've been called racist a few times and what i've realized is in my unconscious bias work is 
that we can never say we're not racist because we're all unconscious bias. All of us are racist, every one of us. We can't remove all that. That's We remain to stereotype, that keeps us alive. But as I've wrestled and then asked questions, occasionally tried to do my own work, or I watch. Julie, that's been really important, I watch. I'm in spaces with my sisters of color. I call them my sisters of color. They. They, um, they, one of them calls me her mama. <laughs> one of them is my little, you know, I have some good friends. Um, and, and they have patience with me. You know what? I went through a phase though, where I was so nervous to say the wrong things. This was probably two years ago that I was tiptoeing. And, um, some of them just finally said, get over it. Just make your mistakes or whatever. And just, just relax. Just go for it because we know your heart's in the right place. And now I, another year later, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I have better language that I use and, and it feels better. And I'm in a space of continuous learning, but also being a little more comfortable, not having all the answers. Hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's so, it's so interesting and, and really cool that, that, being so deeply uncomfortable in that, yes. you know, in that moment five years ago in that room sort of opened up the doorway to a new level of comfort in, in dealing with this this issue that I think, well, I mean, I can speak for myself as a white woman as well, that it is, I think, very uncomfortable for most for most white people <laughs> to tackle. Yes. Um, and, and, and that discomfort, I think, this is one of the really big areas where we are so, like, e eager to not have to think about it or talk about it or yeah. touch on it. And, and you know. But and we must be allies. We have to be allies. And unless we get uncomfortable, we can't be allies. We can be surface. Right? We can be surface, um, can check the boxes, say we're not racist, say that we support, whatever it looks like. But I'll tell you, and I know this from all my years, decades of gender work, that it's, it's you know, at least that's a very, very tiny first step. But unless you get below, Unless you, and I'll tell you, the more I learn, the more I realize how much I don't know. <laughs> um, you think you know a lot when you're on the surface, but but then you see, you start paying attention. And you just sometimes, and I'm not good at this, Julie, you're probably much better, keeping your mouth shut sometimes. <laughs> no, 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 no. Anybody no. who knows me knows that that is not the case. <laughs> well, I'm trying more and more to just keep my mouth shut and watch. And people that are allies, white people or, or men that are allies for women or whatever it is, I, I watch and learn. Like, how do they, you know, especially the ones that have gotten comfortable and are, have the right language. And I'll tell you, sometimes you have to work on the right language because the terms change, especially with race. And you don't want to be saying things outdated or you want to show that support. Mm -hmm. But even the term minority, right? I, some people still use it. Some people don't. I, I use sisters of color um, instead of minority. So those are things that I'm even in these conversations. But listen, I, I think that's the best thing we can do is just try and listen. 
um, and watch and then read and learn and ask really thoughtful questions. Yeah. From a place of empathy. And it's, and, and yeah. the, the thing I think that the other thing I just wanted to mention that I, I feel like I heard from you there is um, replacing our fear of engaging with humility. Like we're, we're, we're never going to. None of us in any situation are ever going to know exactly the right words to say or ever going to be able to be 100 percent sure that we're not going to hurt somebody's feelings or say something, you know, say something harmful or whatever. And and so, you know, we as so long as we're walking around constantly afraid that that's going to happen and we'll never do anything or say anything yeah. or engage in any way or go into any uncomfortable place. But there is some power in doing what you've done, which is sort of said, look, I don't know. And and. But I, but, but I care and I want to be here and, and, and I'm going to be humble. And if, if, if I, if yeah. you, if I, if I say something that's racist or behave in a way that you think is racist, like you're going to call me out on that and I'm going to, I'm going to be okay with that. Right. And, and we're going to move on and deepen our relationship. Yeah. I think what you said is so critical that we have to talk about the, well, first of all, the humility I've in the deep research we've done on gender and male allyship. We did a lot in the state of Utah on that, and we know the research from beyond. But humility, that is so interesting. That is what women say, that men who are humble are the best allies. Not coming across that we know it. But trying to be comfortable in that space, and it just takes time. I mean, if we're not around a lot of black people or people of color as white people, we're not going to get there. I mean, you have to be around. We have to put ourselves in situations. Unfortunately, my work, I, I'm able to choose to do that, right? And we did a whole series of reports, one on women, uh, black women, one on Hispanic women, one on to get us in, in that space of understanding. And so that's been a process. And I've had so many ahas as I go forward. And I'm not there. Like I said, I, I'm just learning and growing. But I'm feeling every month I feel a bit like I'm a little more comfortable. And I and I have, it's not just my comfort, right? It is that thing that happens in our hearts that we truly desire to help, to do what we can, to learn, to grow. And one thing I wanted to mention, Julie, is that in my process, especially during the pandemic when, you know, we had the protests and, and so forth. And my husband and I started reading more work, more, more of the work and more of the books. What I paid attention to is my defensiveness. Mm -hmm. So I've absolutely paid attention to my mind and my heart. And when I push back, like I read uh, White Fragility, and there's a lot of pretty tough stuff in that. There's a whole chapter on white women tears. And I, I, and I'm like, oh, you know, I feel this push. But through the last even two and three years, my heart, I don't know how to say this. It's, I don't know if it's in my head or my heart or a combination. I've tried to feel like, when do I push? When do I not? And I feel like I can read things and not take it so personally and not have it I don't know what it's called, um, kind of ting comes to mind, but that's not a word. Uh, this reaction that you have that you go straight to defensiveness. And what I do when I teach is I say, shifting from defensiveness to curiosity. Like, oh, I wonder why I felt that way. I wonder. So instead of defensive, curiosity. So that's what 
what I think I'm, I'm not having those reactions as much. So I think I'm making progress. Susan, thank you so much for sharing this, uh, this insight with us, your personal experience. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Susan Madsen is the founding director of the Utah Women in Leadership Project. You can find them online at utwomen.org. And she's a professor of leadership at the Huntsman School of Business at Utah State University. So now it's your turn, top of mind listener. I would love to hear about a stick with it story in your life about encountering a perspective or a situation that challenged your way of seeing things and how you found a way to stay curious in that rather than get defensive and shut down. How'd it come about? What was the result of sticking with that discomfort? You can email your Stick With It story to topofmind at byu.edu and check back here on the podcast feed frequently for more Stick With It stories and Top of Mind episodes. I'm Julie Rose. We'll talk soon.